In her book, The Cloister Walk, Kathleen Norris worries that the church has forgotten that worship is not primarily a gathering of like-minded, but a gathering of people to be with one another in the acknowledgement that human existence originates in and is drawn toward love. She writes, Even when I find church boring, I try to hold this in mind as a possibility. Like all the other fools who drag themselves to church on Sunday morning, including the pastor, I am there because I need to be reminded that love can be at the center of all things we will only keep it there. So here's, here's what I want to do this morning. It's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, so I want to weave together some thoughts from, from Dr. King. I want to reflect on spiritual practices, since we're doing that this month, and then think about the practices we can engage around repairing relationships in our own lives, recreating those in healthy ways, and then think about as a church what we might do. So I want to, I guess I want to start with telling you that I've been blogging every day uh, in January around spiritual practices. Um, Once a day, I put a post up on some practice or discipline that I've engaged in or I think is worthwhile engaging in as as Unitarian Universalists. Um, And it really intersected in some ways with with Dr. King in this weekend because at the core of his um, life was a, was a, practice of prayer. I don't know if uh, you know this about Dr. King, but he, when he was really stressed out, when things were going was hard in his life, he would set aside twice as much time as normal for prayer. So when he was really stressed out and felt like there was no time for anything, he would say, no, I need to make twice as much time now for prayer so that he could be grounded, so he could, he could live from a place of love, he could live from a place that there was a commitment to, to nonviolence in his life. And it sustained him. This practice sustained him. I don't know if you know this story that he shares from 1956. He came home from a long day of, of organizing a whole bunch of different people and strategizing different things and was just tired and burned out. His family was asleep, and he got this call on the phone. It was, it was a threatening call, a violent call, a terrifying call. And he didn't say anything. He hung up the phone and he, he writes about this experience saying, I was terrified. I was filled with panic. I didn't know if I could continue to do this work. And he sat down at the kitchen table in the, in the middle of his house and he sat down and he started to pray. And in his own words, he said, I had this experience that I hadn't had before where almost immediately the presence of the divine came to me in a way that it had not before. And I could hear, says King, I could hear the quiet assurance of this inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, says Dr. King, my fears began to go, my uncertainty disappeared, I was ready to face anything. He was held in that presence and it returned him, his practice returned him to a center of love. So as we move into this new year, I'm thinking about those 
practices that help us pay attention to our lives, that help us grow our souls and open our hearts, help us live with love and compassion right in the middle of our lives. And I'm thinking about the practice of, of repairing or recreating relationships, in part because that was a huge part of Dr. King's ministry. He believed that despite the history of this country, he really believed that the true reality, as, as I think we, we do, and yet we don't live this yet, the true reality is that all people are created equal. Not just all white men are created equal. And he knew there was much repair work, much recreating of relationships between the races and the classes and among the nations if we were going to live into those ideals, if we were going to have peace and justice prevail. Underlying his vision were some really profound religious assumptions. The assumption is that we were born into relationship. There is no I. There's no Justin or, you know, John Jensen or any of us. Well, maybe John. Maybe there's a John without. I don't know. <laughs> but but the, the broader point is there is, we do not exist outside of that network of relationships. We are born into a network of relationships. Grandparents and parents and siblings and friends and people who make our grow our food and, and make our clothing, people who build the roads we drive on, who write the books that we read that inspire us, that change us. There is a network of relationships we are born into. We're embedded in relationships, invisible and invisible, and tending to those relationships matters. Becoming aware of them matters. As Dr. King said, all life is interrelated. We are all tied together in a single garment of destiny. We've heard this quote a million times. We're all tied together in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. So what I think Dr. King knew and what I want to suggest to you is as we repair our relationships with ourselves and with others and then the wider community and it spirals out still wider, the whole garment, the fabric of society, if you will, is also healed, and it ripples out. You have a sense of this in your own life, I can imagine. When you have some repair work that's happened in a key relationship in your life, when that relationship is recreated in a healthy way, right? your friends or people around you will say, wow, something's different. What, what, what's happened? Why, why are you... What's going on? Because you are in a different place, and so then your relationship with your friends and those other people in that next circle begin to change as well. How's this landing with you? Are you with me? Okay. That's right. I like whoever's talking. Talk back. That's good. So let me ask you this. Let's make it personal. So it really, I mean, I think that's where this all starts in some ways in our own lives. Otherwise, it's just kind of abstract. As you think about the relationships in your own life, which ones are the most important for you? Is it a relationship with a partner or a spouse Maybe it's with your family, with parents who are living or not living. Maybe it's with your children, living or not living. Maybe some of you would say it's with the spirit of life. It's with the wider community. It's with the earth community. As you think about this network of relationships you're in 
what repair work, what recreating of those relationships needs to be done as you move into this new year? What harsh words have been exchanged? What has been neglected that should no longer be neglected? What promises have been broken that need to be remade, renewed? And maybe, on a really simple level, it's just repair work for yourself, the relationship you have with yourself, committing to a new path, a different way in the world. I looked to 12-step programs on a key piece of this recreating and repairing relationships. You know this process, many of you. It's making amends. It's where you sit down and you take inventory and you scan through your life and your relationships and your experiences with people and you bring to mind those people that you've hurt, those people that you've betrayed or ignored or just not let into your life in the way that they should have been or could have been in your life. And part of that repairing work, that recreating work, is simply owning your actions, owning your behavior, and not making excuses. I know before with the children's story, we were laughing because it was funny and they were asking good questions. But I'll tell you, in my own life, that step of saying, I'm sorry, I can tell that I hurt you, you didn't deserve that, here's what I'll do differently, that is not easy work. It's not easy to sit down and say, yeah, I, I did this thing. And when you go back through your life and begin that process of making amends, repairing, that's what you do. You say, I'm not proud of that. I'm sorry. I know how much that must have hurt you. Here's what I'll do differently next time. I think all of us, whether or not we're in 12-step programs, we have relationship repair work to do. But maybe it's possible. You're sitting in the pew this morning and you're thinking, I don't have relationship repair work I need to do. It could be. It could be. It's possible. You might be thinking, this isn't me. That, that doesn't apply to me. But if you live with chronic pain, or you live with depression, or grief, or even anger, you have a relationship with that, with that thing, depending on how you hold it, or carry it, or move with it, how you understand it and relate to it. That can be changed, reimagined, repaired, recreated. Or maybe, really, truly, your personal life is fine. That, that is possible. That really is possible. And that's true. Your personal life is good, and the horizon looks good, and the present is good, and the past has been good. But you look around you in the wider community, and you see veterans coming home from a war who can't find work, who struggle with depression, who wonder if this is a place where they can find meaning in their lives. You look around this community, and you see some of the violence you, you read about a three-year-old who died from a, a stray bullet. You see the growing disparity between people around income. You look out. Your life might be fine, but you look out, and there's a lot that is breaking your heart. And you think, man, the fabric is torn. There's so much repair work to do. And then the big questions hit. The big questions just come into our hearts and minds. Where do we start with this repair work? How do we start? How do we start? 
And luckily, we don't have to invent something out of thin air. There are people who have come before us. There are people who offer up images and ideas for how we can deepen our practice of repairing relationships, of recreating those relationships. And one of those people is the author Kathleen Norris. Ruth shared her reading earlier this morning. I just want to read a piece of it again. She writes, Even when I find church boring, even when I find church boring, I try to hold this in mind as a possibility. Like all the other fools who have dragged themselves to church on Sunday morning, including the pastor, I am there because I need to be reminded that love can be at the center of all things if only we keep it there. So I want to say to you, you lifetime Unitarian Universalists or those growing into the faith as Unitarian Universalists, I know it can be challenging when you talk to your friends outside these walls and like, why are you going to church? What are you doing? Are you, do you need a crutch? Are you a fool? Yada, 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 yada. I want to suggest to you that there's something inside you that knows and believes that you can live with love at the center of your life and this place helps that to happen. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. echoed this idea. He wrote, Hatred paralyzes life, love releases it. Hatred confuses life, love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life, love illuminates it. So that's a clue to how we might begin repairing, recreating relationships as we start small with ourselves and then with others and then others as it spirals out. We can learn to hold and practice holding love at the center of things. And to go deeper in that, because love is a big word and it means a lot, what is remarkable to me is that Dr. King, in his life in ministry, he never preached hate. Right? He was an imperfect person, as we all are, but love was at the center of his life and his ministry. He blamed systems that exploited people. He blamed systems that created the conditions for violence and for war and for economic exploitation. He blamed systems, but he didn't preach hate and he didn't blame people. He knew that we were all tied in this thing together, that we were all damaged by racism and violence and exploitation. So I think with love in the center, that image, we are invited to... Take that love, that patient, that trusting love, that hope-filled love, that love that perseveres and put it at the center of our lives. This love that invites us to see a truth that we cannot and should not turn away from so that we can begin to repair what has been broken. I want to come at this another way with a different image I find very helpful. This is from... Robert Bly, his poem is called The Third Body. It's one of my favorite poems. I'm not going to read it all, but in this poem, he describes a man and a woman sitting next to each other, and it could be a man and a man or a woman and a woman or any two people. He describes them sitting next to each other and not wanting to be any older or any other place or with any other person, but they're right there. There's a sort of love that's there. And as they're breathing, sitting next to each other, they realize, they understand, and we understand that there is a third entity. He calls it the third body that they're feeding by their breath, by the way they take care of each other. There's this third thing, this third body, not just the person and the person, but this bigger entity. 
that their loving relationship feeds and takes care of. I find that image to be really helpful, to be remarkably helpful when I think about repairing relationships. It reminds me that the the repair work, the recreating work, is not just between me and then the person in front of me, but about something larger. And so as relationships are repaired, something larger than we can see, this third body, if you will, that thing is strengthened and repaired and healed as well. You might even think of this on a huge scale in our country as democracy, as this third body. Right now, wherever you land in the spectrum, very few of us are tending to that larger third body. It's about what's right in front of us, and it's a big fight, and we're losing something critical in that third body. Are you with me on that one? Does that make sense? Okay. So let's sit with that for a second. We have these two images, love at the center and this image of the third body. Love at the center and this image of the third body. So when you go through that process I shared in the children's story, when you say to someone, I'm sorry, I can tell I hurt you. When you say you didn't deserve that. When you say, here's what I'll do differently next time. When you say those words, probably some of the hardest words we can say as humans in some ways, I want to invite you to think about how you're healing the third body, how you're working to have love at the center of your life, how you're, in fact, accountable to love and that third body when you begin that process. So what? Now what? How does this affect us as individuals? Here's how I think you can make it concrete. I invite you this next week to think about the repair work, the recreating work you want to do Maybe this week with your children, if you have children. The repair work you want to do internally with yourself. The repair work that you might need to do with a spouse or a partner. And as you begin to do this, let me tell you, I think that this is really scary work. If you say, I'm sorry, I can tell that I've hurt you, and then you're quiet, and you let your friend or your partner, whoever it is, respond because they may have some other things they need to say, and you just listen to understand more deeply what they're feeling, that will rock your world. It will shake you up. And my guess is if you're anything like me is you'll feel defensive, and you'll feel angry, and you might feel surprised, and you might be pained, but I invite you to sit with it, to be patient to have that fearless love at the center of that interaction and to know that you will not die from this process. You will not die from this process. In fact, something might begin to heal. Give it a shot this week. That's how it can come alive in your life this week. That's the individual level. But so what, now what, for us, for us as a faith community as it relates to repairing relationships. I've been thinking about this part of it a lot. A lot. And so I want you to just dream with me and kind of hear what I'm thinking about how, as a faith community, we can think about repairing relationships. We're in the middle of this strategic planning process right now. You can sign up online. You can go to the hub and sign up for a group. And we're mapping out what we're going to be and how we're going to be for the next five years of our shared faith life together. This is a big deal. It'll be the roadmap. So dream with me. Dream with me for a minute. What if, as a faith community, we took seriously the idea that we were going to be about repairing relationships, about reconciling brokenness and and 
things that are destroyed or wrecked out in the community, that we are going to strive to build the beloved community here. Let me be even more clear about what I'm pointing to here. What I'm pointing to is this, right? It's easy one Sunday a year to lift up Martin Luther King Jr. and his dream to lift that up once a year than it is to actually let his ministry and message truly live in our lives, right? It's easier to worship him in some ways than it is to commit to his vision and love. Are you with me? Right? You're like Buddha. Hey, that was a great guy, Buddha. Right? Lots of meditation, understood, open heart, compassion, all this kind of stuff. Nice job, Buddha. Like, my real life, not so much into Buddha, right? Or, or anybody. Like, like, great dream, Martin. I mean, like, that's a nice dream. And then in our real lives, like, we are participants in a system that continues to, to marginalize and oppress lots of people. We are participants in an economic system that does not work for the majority of people, for a lot of people in this country, right? So it's easier to lift up a hero or a prophet and say, nice job, prophet hero, and then kind of go back to our lives. So, you may not be with me on that one, but that's true in my own life. Like, it's a lot easier to look at somebody who I really admire and then just kind of walk a path where I'm sometimes compromising. So not, so what if, what if in our strategic planning as a church, we said we want to do the work, the really hard work, the painful work We want to do the work of becoming a multicultural, multiracial, multi-class church, right? Dream with me. What if we took that seriously? What if we said, that's the direction we want to go? We don't know how to do it. It might mean some changes in music. It might mean changes in worship. It might mean changes in RE. We don't know what it means, but that's the direction we want to go. And what if we were willing to be changed as we moved in that direction? And what if, in addition to that, we said we need to be in partnership with people in the community that are different from us, that we don't have a relationship with? Not to tell them what to do or to lead them, but to help them, to walk with them, to understand their issues and walk with them. Our brothers and sisters in Minneapolis, people who are not members here may never be members here, but we will be changed by those relationships. And what if we began to reimagine our relationship with North Minneapolis. Some of you know we used to have a settlement house. There used to be the Unity Settlement House in North Minneapolis. Founders of this church had a settlement house up in North Minneapolis so that new immigrants and new people to the community could come and learn basic skills, could have basic needs met. It was a way to be relevant and connected to the community in North Minneapolis. I wonder, as we start this strategic planning process, is there a presence, are we being called to North Minneapolis once again? So here's what I want you to do as we start the strategic planning. I want you to dream with me. I want you to pray. I want you to reflect on who we are as a faith community and where we're being called, how we are being called to live with love at the center of all we do and how we are called to tend to that larger body, that third body. This repair work starts inside. It's a practice. It builds out in our relationships, spreads to our community, and then moves to the wider community. And as the choir sang earlier, may we be a people and church that is built on love, that stands against all hate, and that helps the dream of beloved community become a reality. May it be so. And amen.